Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Welcome to Freedom House. I am so glad y'all are here today. Um, we are in a series called Hell Week, and I thought what I would do is I would take this opportunity to share with some of you some things that you, you may not know about me. Uh, and the reason that I decided to do that is because, you know, oftentimes people don't realize the hell that the person next to you goes through. We tend to think that it's just what we're walking through in life. We don't understand what other people are walking through. And, um, and I, I kind of had this, this deal with God. If you've ever heard me talk before, I can tell you that when God first called me into the ministry, I had a conversation with him that looked like this. I said, uh, sure, I will do that. No problem, except um, here's my caveat. My caveat is I want to make sure that I don't get hurt because, see, I've watched people in ministry, and I don't want to sign up for that. So as long as you make sure I don't get hurt, I will gladly sign on the dotted line. Well, he counteroffered me. He, he didn't go for my offer. He counteroffered me, and he said, I will make you this deal. It's not that you won't go through hurt. You will go through hurt. But when you do, I promise you that I will always be there. And so he said, best and final. So I was like, all right, I'll sign that. I'll sign up for that. Knowing that in my heart, I was signing up for pain. So what happens oftentimes when people look at us, and I'm just going to use myself because I'm just going to speak for myself today. I'm not going to speak for my husband or my family or anybody else. I'm going to speak for me. But um, I thought what I would do is share the hell that I walk through because I hear all the time from people that they don't think I'm human or they, they don't think that anything ever flusters me or bothers me or that I ever cry or that I ever seem to break. And um, that, that, I've heard it so long that that, that troubled me, and I, I didn't like that. And I'm going to tell you later why I think that is, but I want to just dive in and share with you this scripture, because I think that's a really good place to start. Um, but I'm going to be very vulnerable, very honest, very open with you today, and it might come across initially as heavy, and I'm going to bring us back out of that. But I want you to know that the things I'm going to share are not easy for me to share. I have never shared these things publicly before ever. Um, and so it's not the easiest thing in the world for me to do. But thankfully, I got one under my belt last night and I cried my eyes out all during service. So hopefully today I'll only cry half the message, okay? That's my goal. That's my goal. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All that you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit, and he'll always be there to help you come through it. So, <clears throat> 
I want to start with some things that, not that I dealt with 20 years ago in my childhood or my past or, you know, things that happened when I was a kid, the molestation or the abuse of all of that. Um, not even 10 years ago, eight, six, you know, four, five. I want to tell you the things that happen every day to me. Things that I go through. Some of the things may have started back then, but they still continue today. And I want to walk us through that. And I want to talk you through that just to give you a little glimpse of my life. Um, I was at church and um, I got a couple of phone calls that I didn't see that went through on my phone. And um, I had missed them. And one of my children comes running to me saying, you need to call the number on your phone. And I noticed I had missed the calls and I call on my phone and it's my daughter's friends. You see, they were unsaved friends, but that morning they had come to church with her and they were all now at our house. And I said to them, what's wrong? What's going on? All I can hear in the background is screaming, just complete and total screaming. I'm at church. And I'm trying to figure out what's happening. I can tell that something crazy is happening, but, but nobody's giving me the answers. And I, I wanted to talk to my daughter, but, but she wasn't able to come to the phone. And I find out that she's hurt and she's badly hurt. And I asked the girls if they had called 911 and they said no. And I didn't understand why. And they said, we need you to come home right away. And I said, well, I'm going to call 911. I flew out the doors of the church. I called 911. And I get to my house. There are fire trucks, ambulances, police cars all up and down my street. All of my neighbors are out in their yards at their mailboxes, standing on the street, wondering what's going on, trying to figure out what's happening and I can barely get down my street. And I pull up in the driveway. And I run in the house. And my daughter is seizing on the floor. Foam coming from her mouth. And she's going in and out of consciousness. But nobody's talking. Nobody's saying what's going wrong. The police officers are there trying to figure out what's happening come to find out that um, her friends had something in their purse called a dab pen, which is not something in my generation I'd ever heard of, but you see a lot of kids going around with these pens and blowing smoke. Well, there's all sorts of things you can put in them. This particular friend had put something in it. We didn't know at the time because she wouldn't admit or wouldn't come forward with what it was, but she had put a synthetic illegal drug in it. And my daughter, for whatever reason, had a lapse in judgment and decided that she was going to try that, not knowing what it was. So here she is, having a seizure, having to be rushed to the hospital. And here I am, trying to figure out what happened. They were just at church. I'm hurting, I'm wounded, I'm grieving. Her friends wouldn't admit 
what they had brought into our home because they didn't want to get in trouble. Later on, when we found out what it was, we realized that the way that it hit her system caused an overdose and she could have lost her life. It's pretty tough. Do you know what was even harder than that? The compound effect. There were some things we had to cancel. There were some things we couldn't do. And um, you see, there's this expectation on pastors. It's not livable. You see, we had some events or things we were supposed to be at, and we canceled without saying all the details because it wasn't our story. And then it was said, I thought you were my friend. I thought you cared for me. I thought you, you would be there for me. I thought, like, why didn't you come to my baby shower? Why didn't you come to my wedding shower? Why didn't you come to my birthday party? You, you see, the tendency is to put pastors on a pedestal and think that they don't, they don't walk through anything, that they're not human. And, and the problem with that is when you do that, when you put somebody on a pedestal that they weren't meant to be on, you see, when I fall, I fall on you. And then we're both hurt because there's expectations that I can't ever fulfill. You weren't there and you wounded me. But see, my daughter needed me more. So there are seasons where you pull back and you just pull in close to God and everyone might not understand. Those that are healthy do. But church is a hospital. Not everybody's healthy, right? We all want to get healthy. That's all our goal. But insecurity and pains from our past can be in the forefront oftentimes. And so that was a hard struggle of feeling like I had to disappoint people. It's not my heart. It's not my intention. But I knew there was a battle that we were walking through. My daughter was dealing with guilt and shame. She's like, how could I have done something so stupid? I didn't even think about what could have been in that. People often put tobacco or different flavorings. Like, how could I have been so dumb? And she struggled with guilt and shame for a while. We got her into counseling to help her work through that. But we were dealing with that as a family. But what I've learned is that people understand, you know, because there's, there's thousands of y'all. There's one of me. People understand you can't do everything as long as you do their thing. And that's pressure that, um, that I, I won't succeed in. And so that's hard at times. And it's a situation, this was about two and a half years ago, where um, my husband was very sick. He was put in quarantine at the hospital. He had spinal meningitis. And, um, and I thought, okay. I can buckle or I can pray. And I just began praying while he was in the hospital. And, um, and I thought, you know, what, what can I do right now? And I'm the type of person where if I'm going through a financial issue, the first thing I'm going to do is sow money, sow seed. Whatever it is you're believing God for, that's where you sow seed in, right? If I'm believing, you know, that, that I want a friend, I'm going to sow friendship, Right? So here my husband is laying in a hospital bed and uh, it's pretty serious. And I didn't, I didn't open up to the world what was going on um, because we were fighting in a battle and it just wasn't necessary at that moment for everybody to know the specifics, but just that, hey, let's pray for him. 
So I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sow into other people right now. I got a list from the church of everybody who was in the hospital or everybody that was grieving or going through something. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make them meals. I'm going to make them all casseroles because I'm the casserole queen. I love casseroles. So I'm going to make them all casseroles, and I'll deliver some. I'll have some other people deliver some. And um, only a few people around me even knew what was going on. And so I had the casseroles all delivered, and I thought, I'm going to sew in because I know what it feels like to have somebody in the hospital to have gone through a situation. So I want to sew into their situation. One of the people who was closer in towards me, who was a quote-unquote friend, decided she would let everybody know that I was sending casseroles to, hey, they're probably contaminated. Don't eat them. Throw them in the trash. And began to tell them that my husband was in the hospital and had spinal meningitis. So the casseroles that I had made ended up all going in the trash can. That was hurtful and painful, especially because she didn't even know that I knew. But things always have a way of finding themselves back, right? And people who were also close to me, one of my very own board members who I love dearly, was like, oh my gosh, people die from that all the time. And here I am going, that's not really what I needed to hear right now. I really could use your prayers and your support and your encouragement. But see, what I understand is what most people don't understand about me. What I understand about them is that they're human. They make mistakes. They say things they shouldn't. And um, I came to church that Sunday and I was up here leading and praying, and there were comments made. She, she doesn't even acknowledge grief. She doesn't, you know, she, you'd think she's strong, but she's not really strong. She just won't admit. She's in denial. No, that's not what it is. I'll explain it to you in a minute. My husband's been very vocal about the panic attacks that he's walked through. Um, it started when he was on the mission field. Matt, I think he might have been on the trip with you in Africa. Um, I can't remember if that was the one, but they got stuck in the, the bush, the African bush in the jungle, and um, they were going to do a meeting, and um, my husband was going to preach, and their, their jeep broke down, and they were stuck for two and a half hours and late getting to where they were supposed to be, and, and he had been dealing with a, a, you know, a travel schedule and things going on. He, you know, he was in his 30s. Most people don't start that type of behavior later in life, but he, he had a panic attack, and he didn't know what it was. He thought that it was like somebody put some voodoo curse on him. He just wasn't sure what all was going on. Um, he, he's out there on the mission field, and he was telling me about it when he came back, and then it happened again which is when they figured out um, when he went to the doctor that it was a panic attack. What most people don't know, they've heard him share his story, but what they don't know is the toll that that took on me. Consistently having to step in, having to shoulder things because that's a very serious, if you've dealt with that, um, the tendency is, is you so badly don't want to have another one that inadvertently that's all you're thinking about. You're spending a good chunk of your time just making sure you don't have another one. And so he was doing health and nutrition and working out and doing all of these things, but he didn't want to take any medication. He said, you know, it was the, the part of the man in me that just felt like I can overcome this, but he wasn't winning that battle. 
And there were times where I would have to come out here and preach. I didn't have a message prepared. You guys didn't know that. But I would get the microphone while he would be in the back. Like he was having a heart attack. And I would grab the microphone and I would come out here. And Sometimes people don't mean to be cruel, but you can have the thoughts of, oh, on a scale of one to ten, that's about a six. But they have no idea what it took to grab a microphone not prepared to preach and speak. It's not easy. I, um, Mother's Day, a few months back, I, uh, I had one of the greatest opportunities of my life. I got to go and speak at um, a church, one of the largest churches in the country and one of the most influential churches in the country. And the fact that they asked me to come speak was just a really big deal to me. And it's something I took very seriously and I was very honored to do. And so I fly out there it's in Phoenix. My husband is with me. I really wanted him there just to support me. And um, getting ready to get up a few hours beforehand, 30,000 people I'm about to address. And I get a call from Charlotte that was so devastating. I didn't cry. I didn't drop to my knees. I froze. My body went numb. I couldn't feel, but I knew enough to get my pastor on the phone. And Troy was sitting beside me, and they're like, you, you need to come home. I don't know how you're going to get up and preach. You, you need to, like, I, I don't think you can do this. I mean, nobody would blame you if you got on a plane and just came home. And he said, you can come to Atlanta. You and Troy can come be with me. You know, pastors, Colleen and Dennis said, we'll, we'll be there for you. This is devastating. And I said, I just need a minute because I can't feel my body right now. I can't even, I can't even think to tell you what I want to do because I just can't feel my body right now. I'm thinking, I've got to tell these people that I can't get up and speak and they've flown me out here and it's a few hours before I'm supposed to go on. I dropped to my knees and I prayed for a little bit and I got up and I said, I'm doing this. I did not fly out here to turn around and go back. But I got up there riddled with pain and hurt. And nobody in that entire room knew. Nobody that was watching on the live stream knew except for my husband. But I pushed through it. My safety on a regular basis is something I have to watch out for. I've had threats made against me. I had to install a alarm system on my home. They had to come back another time, add in cameras. I have tracking devices on my phone so my husband can know my location at all times. I've had to take out restraining orders. I've had to lock myself in the bathroom at Target until somebody came. But I don't talk about that. I don't share that. That sucks. 
I stepped back from doing some of the TV things that I was doing um, just to kind of go a little low a little bit. Um, had to go to court several times, deal with it. Had to have police officers involved. A couple weeks ago, I'm on my way to preach at one of our campuses, and I get a call. There's been a threat made. I'm getting ready to preach. I'm going to church. And I remember looking in my rearview mirror the whole way to church. And I just remember thinking, not today. God, I can't do this today. And I show up at the campus. A couple people knew they were looking out for me. They whisked me in, took me in the back. A very kind, well-meaning person that had no idea how it would land on me made the comment, hey, I heard what's going on. I hope you're locked and loaded today. It's the last thing a girl needs to hear, especially when her husband's not there and she's getting ready to get up and preach. So I'm scanning the audience, trying to see if the crazy person showed up. Should I go in the lobby today? People don't know that. They have no idea what I walk through. None. I am on a regular basis verbally assaulted. On a regular basis. It's always happened since I've chose to be a public figure, if you will. But the last five to six years, it's been awful. I'm going to tell you why, and this is really, really difficult for me to say, but I want to open up and I want to tell you why this is, why it increased. Pastor Troy and I had been traveling. Um, we had a 13-hour plane flight, and it's six-hour time zone difference. And um, we were headed back to Charlotte. By the time I land in Charlotte, I realized my Facebook page is lit up with people who are extremely upset with me. It was all women. All women. 25 posts. I can't believe you're not speaking up after what we're going through. You call yourself a pastor, but you're refusing to address the issues that hurt us. Who do you think you are? You didn't even comment. Your silence speaks loud. And I'm going, I don't, I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know what's happening. And I asked my husband, I said, what in the world is this? It's like 25 different women. And he said, I don't know. So we Googled it, found out there had been a shooting that we were unaware of. And so I thought, oh my goodness, they're thinking that I'm not there for them, that I'm just being silent not thinking maybe I didn't know or I was not even in this time zone or understanding what's happening. So I'm thinking, okay, Penny, you need to speak to this. You've been pastoring multicultural your entire 25 years I've been pastoring. Always been multicultural. Always. So I thought if anybody can speak to this, you've got some change in your pocket. You need to speak to this. 
So I say on there, I say, hey, here's the thing we need to do right now. The thing that we need to do right now is we need to all come together. I mean, there were F-bombs being dropped, accusations. I said, we all need to come together right now. That's the biggest thing that needs to happen is all of us need to join our hearts and just connect together. We need to unify because what the devil would like to do right now is for us to be angry with one another. And that's the very thing that we need to combat. Let's join our hearts together and let's, let's figure out how to just be united and be there for one another. And the response came back, no. And I said, I'm sorry, what, what do you mean no? And they said, we're hurting and you're not acknowledging our hurt. And I said, no, I understand that you're hurting. I said, but what I want you to understand, and I said, and this is important if we're going to be unified, is that there's a lot of people that are hurting for different reasons. And what we all need to do is we need to try to connect with each other on a level that we can understand. I said, my husband doesn't understand the sexual abuse that I went through as a child, but he can connect with me. We can still connect with one another, even if I can't 100% put myself in your shoes. And what was said back to me was if there is an entire neighborhood and only one house is on fire, all the other houses don't matter. Only the house that's on fire matters. And I said, see, that's what you don't understand is that your house is not the only house that's on fire. Everybody's walking through a little bit of hell in something. And if we don't acknowledge that, we can't unify. I said, I, I buried a little baby with a casket that was no bigger than a shoebox. That family's going through hell. I had a woman that I just met with who the last memory that she has, she has nightmares every night, is her father standing over her at bedtime, not because he was tucking her in. A young girl, 12 years old, who was coming to visit her cousins, I noticed she had bruise marks on her and her friends brought it to my attention and I talked to her. And she cried, and I said, tell me why you're crying. She said, I was disobedient. I said, why were you disobedient? She said, when my uncle was on top of me, he told me he was going to choke me if I didn't hold still, but it just hurt. I couldn't help it. I moved, and that's why I have the bruises. I said, no, sweetie. Uh-uh. No. This is not your fault because you moved. Struggling with girls who have had abortions or families that have dealt with infidelity and the grief and the pain or having a spouse that they lost or a, a stillborn child. You see, everybody is going through some pain. And the best thing we can do is all acknowledge that we all have a little bit of hell that we're walking through. And your hell is not less important than my hell. It all stinks. And if we can come together in that, 
I really think that's the answer to a lot of what's going on in our society because then we stop looking at other people and thinking they don't understand. They may not understand your specific hell. But if all of us can join together and realize there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain in this world and our job is to put Jesus first and try to just come together. And the thing that that started with all the verbal assaults with me is because when I finished saying that, by this time there was a, um, a guy that had jumped in on the conversation. And he said, so what are you trying to say, that, that all lives matter? And again, I am new on this front. I'm not 100%. I don't understand that there were just these different movements started, right? I'm not understanding, you know, there's the, the black lives matter, the all lives matter, the blue lives matter. And so, so reading his words... He's saying, what do you think, all lives matter? And I'm thinking, well, yeah. There began the onslaught. That whole group said, if it's the last thing we do, we will try to take you down. They took a conversation because of their wounds, their hurt, their pain, And for probably five and a half years now, they have come after me. They've made up fake accounts, posted things under a fake account that I never posted. I mean, I can post stuff on my own that's controversial. I don't need anybody adding to it, okay, you know? and, and so there's these fake things running around that they're, they're having people believe that I said or that I did or, and it's this whole group. And it's painful because I've spent my life being a unifier. I've spent my life, people look at our church, guys, this didn't happen by accident. And so it, it hurts when the very thing that you're trying to do, you're trying to bring people together, it, it hurts when those things happen. And people tried to speak up on Facebook if, and, and, and defend me. And if they were white, they were told that you can't say anything. You, you have no right. And if they were black and they tried to come and defend me, they were called Uncle Tom. And it just showed me where we are as a society that we won't unify because our hurt is bigger than our God. And I've seen it happen too. You know, I've had people mad at me that I won't go march in this and march in that for women. And like, don't you believe in, like, okay, I'm a woman, okay? But I think if we're not careful, some of what can happen is it's not that we're supporting women, we're tearing men down. And I don't get behind that. And it's okay if someone has something to say about that because I'm not moving. I'm not moving on that. I'm a uniter. I believe all of us should unite together. I've um, had my physical appearance attacked. I'm reading things about the cheek implants that I got or the backside implants that I got 
And I'm like, do people believe this stuff? I mean, really? And I think to myself, I'm like, is this a compliment? Like a backhanded compliment? Like I'm just trying to process that, you know? And and it's, you know, does, does she think this is a church or a fashion show? Can I just tell you, people say to me, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you step out and say things when people do that? Because, guys, I would walk around putting out fires all the time and not being able to do the thing I'm actually called to do. I just have to stand and who I am and know that sometimes I just got to be still and let the Lord fight for me. And can I just tell you, if I did have implants on the backside, I would have taken them out long ago. But you see, what's expected of us unknowingly is we go and we, we put the pink little casket in the ground. We're there holding the mom's hand in the hospital who just had a stillborn. And I got to go in the next room because there's another family in the church that just had a brand new baby and they're excited. I got to get myself together. I got to go in the next room. You know, then there's a woman going through a divorce and I got to be there for her. And I got to go do a wedding. What pastors go through is called compassion fatigue. And I wrote down a definition so you would understand it's a clinical definition Compassion fatigue, it's the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion that's experienced by those who care for sick or traumatized people over an extended period of time. You see, we see other people's pain on a daily basis, not just our own. And we try to be really good at being able to rejoice with those rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We don't get it right all the time. We don't. That's where it's important to not have the pedestal thing. Because, you know, there are some times where I'm moody, right? There are times where my kids don't act just right. There are times where Pastor Troy and I argue with each other. I know it's hard to believe, but if he would have just listened, you know, You see, that's real life. And, and when God called me to be a pastor, he didn't call me to be perfect. And, and the same grace that I want to give to you, sometimes I need that back. The reason you see me smiling in the hallways and loving and hugging and you see joy in my heart, it's not because I don't go through stuff. I do. Every day but I'm not gonna wear that as a badge I'm not gonna live as a victim because of what has happened because if I live as a victim the very women that I want to help will become my enemy incidentally one of those women came up to me last night and apologized she happened to be at church she apologized to me She said, I've even watched your Instagram and been mad because your house was clean and mine wasn't. 
guys, we got to do better. We got to do better than that. And I said, well, my kids are teenagers. I make them pick up after themselves. You know, let's, let's not do that. So can I let you into a little inside thing that I do? Um, I thought about having the band come up and doing this. Um, but I decided that instead of having the band do this, I would sing you this song that I sing to Jesus when I feel like that people just aren't getting it. So I'm going to sing it. And it's not because I sound like them, because I don't. I just want you to hear my heart. So um, don't, be, don't be judging. But can I sing it for you? Okay. Lately I've been winning battles left and right But even winners can get wounded in the fight People say that I'm amazing I'm strong beyond my years But they don't see inside of me I'm hiding all the tears Cause they don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. So I drop my sword and cry for just a while. Cause deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. I'm unafraid because God's armor is the best. But even soldiers need a quiet place to rest. People say that I'm amazing because I never face retreat. But what they don't see are the enemies that lay me at his feet. Cause they don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and look up for a smile. Cause deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. I want to read this to you. It's in First Peter. It says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. And then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. So can I ask you this question? How do you choose a supernatural response when your circumstances don't look good? How do you choose that? How do you choose a supernatural response when your circumstances don't look good? 
want to give you two things today before we wrap this up. The first is, when things seem to be going wrong, take courage. Take courage. What does that mean? Joshua, seven different times in the word, you hear, be strong and courageous. It was said to him. The first six were actually God and God's prophets speaking directly to Joshua. You see, Joshua had had taken over the helm of leading millions of people who were complaining and griping, right? They, They had issues. They were humans. And he had to take them somewhere, and they didn't necessarily want to go because there were battles they were going to have to fight to get to the other side. And Joshua was charged with leading the people. So God says to him, be strong and be courageous. Joshua, you got this. Joshua, you can fight the battles. He had to cross over into the promised land knowing there were giants in the land that he had to come and oppose. He knew it. He knew there was risk. He knew there was pain, but he signed up for it. He signed up to lead because that was the call of God on his life. And God says to him, Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And then the seventh time it's mentioned, it it drops from here to here because That 12 inches is huge because it goes from God just saying, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now Joshua has got all the millions of people ready to go into the land and do the battle. And he says the seventh time, be strong and be courageous. It, It went from something that was said to him to something he owned. He wasn't just told to take courage. He took a hold of it. And I think sometimes in our mind, we, we think that having courage means that there is no fear in us. And that's not what it means. It means you, you take that fear, you redistribute it, and you still get the job done. It doesn't mean that it's not there. Courage is a necessary paradox of leadership. Leadership can also be defined bleedership. If you're not bleeding, you're not leading. And we have to understand that and just know it's part of the journey. The second thing I want to tell you is when your life seems out of control, thank Him. Thank Him. What do you mean, thank him, when my life seems out of control? Philippians 4.8 says, summing it all up. In other words, here it is, guys. Here's the grand finale. Summing it all up, friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, things that are noble, things that are reputable, Things that are authentic. Sounds like a great name for a women's movement, right? Things that are compelling. Things that are gracious. The best, not the worst. 
the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me and what you heard and saw and realized. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. You see, here's the thing. That is not natural. And I've realized when people critique me for not feeling, it's because I'm not going to do what's natural. Yes, I hurt. Yes, I go through pain. Yes, I cry. But if you just do what comes natural, you will fall prey to negativity. I can't go from one room to the next if I just do what comes natural. You see, the thing that I've learned is that everybody wants to be an exceptional person, but yet we would rather just have an ordinary battle. Can I just tell you, if going to the next level in your life is determined by whether or not somebody hurt you, you will always find yourself looking for permission instead of progression. We've got to let go daily. Now, people say, how, how do you do that? Because there's a lot of things that come my way. I'm going to give you a really simple answer, but it's way more spiritual than you think. I have a note card that I put up on my mirror, and everybody that has hurt or harmed me goes up on this note card, and I pray over them regularly, daily. There have been seasons where I took the note card down. There's one up right now. It's just got different names on it. It's really hard to come against somebody when I am fervently praying for them. It is hard to hold on to bitterness and hurt and pain or jealousy or envy or what else when I am praying for them daily. It won't happen. So that's one of the things I do. And I want to close out with this. Can you stand up on your feet with me? I just want to pray for people right where you are in your seats. I want to pray for you. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? There's two different groups of people in here today I want to pray for. The first is those who feel like you're just in a season of attack. You just feel like there's been attacks launched at you and it's been hard. Could be at work, it could be maybe in your marriage, in your household, in your neighborhood, at school. You just feel like attacks are happening to you. If that's you right where you are, I just want you just to take your hand and put it over your heart. Just acknowledging that that's me today, that's me. And then there are some of you in here who it's not the, the enemy that's your issue, it's the inner me. It's your thought life, it's what's going on in, internally, the struggles that you're dealing with. Maybe there's negativity, whatever's going on. If that's you, I want you just to put your hand over your heart right now too. And 
I wanna read these scriptures over you as we close up today. Isaiah 41 says, count on it. Everyone who had it in for you. What do you do when you have an enemy opposing you? Count on it. Everyone who had it in for you will end up out in the cold, real losers. Those who worked against you will end up empty handed, nothing to show for their lives. When you go out looking for your old adversaries, you will not find them. Not a trace of your old enemies, not even a memory. That's right, because I, your God, have a firm grip on you. I'm not letting go. I am telling you, do not panic. I'm right here to help you. What if it's the inner me? 2 Corinthians 13, it says, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus is in you. Test it out. If you fail that test, do something about it. I hope the test won't show that we have failed, but if it comes to that, we'd rather the test showed our failure than yours. We're rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. We don't just put up our, with our limitations. Let me say that again. We don't just put up with our limitations, we celebrate them. And then we go on and celebrate every strength, every triumph of the truth in you. We pray hard that it will come together in your lives. When things seem to be going wrong, take courage. When your life seems out of control, thank Him. Can all of us just lift our hands today? I'm gonna dismiss you, but I wanna pray this over you. Father, I thank you for each and every person in here. I thank you for their life. I thank you for the call that is on their life because God, see, we don't get to, to tap out when something goes wrong. God, the call that you have for us, we don't get to tap out of that. Lord, we gotta stay strong and stay focused in the fight. God, we, we wanna be like your finest soldiers. God, we wanna be like Navy SEALs that even though they go through hell week, that they realize it's just for training ground so they can go out and win the battles that they face. God, we thank you that we're your elite forces, that we don't get derailed, we don't get sidelined when trouble comes our way, when hurt comes or when pain comes. God, we realize that no matter what happens, we will stay focused. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.